Welcome to the Pig Health Today podcast, where we talk all health, all the time. Hear engaging interviews with today's leading industry experts. Hosted by Pig Health Today editors, podcast episodes highlight the latest ideas, insights, and advice to improve pig health, welfare, and performance. Hi, I'm Joe Feeks, editor at Pig Health Today, and with me is Cassie Jones. She's associate professor at Kansas State University. Cassie, it's great to see you. Yo, thanks for having me today. You've been doing a lot of work, as have others, on tracking viruses in feed. Um, this is an important subject. It's also kind of a scary one. Um, I want to talk to you in particular, though, about feed mill biosecurity. You've been doing a lot of work with that, but wow, there are a lot of moving parts there, a lot of trucks coming and going. Where do you begin? Well, the, the aspect of feed mill biosecurity really occurred to us in the middle of the porcine epidemic diarrhea breaks in the mm -hmm. United States. And at that time, we recognized the threat that feed-based transmission can have and somewhat based in ingredients in the feed itself, but really because we have all of this, like you said, um, transport from, from farms to feed mills and then back to farms. And we've done a really nice job in the United States in conventional pork production to create fantastic biosecurity around the farm. But one of the weak points has been that we continue to allow transport to feed mills and back to other farms, meaning that the feed mill can become a source of virus transmission. So what do you do about that? Where do you begin? Well, part of it is we had to take a risk-based approach because the fact that we had not put biosecurity around feed mills before really meant that we didn't need to. And so with PEDV, that was really the first time that we started to recognize that there, was, there were viruses that could be tracked far enough and in fomites like feed or on, on tires back and forth from the feed mill. And so as we looked um, initially, we started to, to identify the biggest risks by doing some environmental sampling and better understanding where in the feed mills we might have the highest risk for contamination of viruses. And what have you found? Well, we found some interesting aspects. So certainly um, the most likely place to be contaminated of all places are worker shoes. And maybe that's not that surprising when you think about it, but historically when we work with feed mills and when we've trained feed mill managers and people that work in feed mills, we don't have the same expectations for biosecurity that for those individuals that we would for people that work on farms. People that work on farms many times aren't allowed to keep pigs at home, for example. Or when they go into farms, even if it's a grow finish barn, they're expected to change boots or wash their shoes. We don't have those same expectations historically for people that work in feed mills. And so when we started understanding where the biggest risks are, the fact that it was from people may not have been that much of a surprise. So what do you do about that? I mean, is it just a matter of putting up additional safeguards when they're coming and going? Is it shower in, shower out? What's gonna happen? It really depends upon the risk of the virus, um, what pathogen we're dealing with. And so certainly within the United States right now, we're encouraging people just to start thinking about it. And so we have some production systems that are very progressive and are starting to put in what we call Danish entry systems, where um, just like we would have at a sow farm where you have a bench that you sit on, you take your outside shoes off and then you swing your feet over and put clean shoes on that you only use within the barn or, or in this case within the feed mill. Other, um, other feed mills have um, places for employees to wash or sanitize their shoes or are putting down some sanitizer solutions on floors to try to minimize high risk areas. Um, but you talk about shower in, shower out for feed mills, that may not be too far down the road as we look at some ASF endemic countries and some of our partners that we've worked with, 
they are showering into feed mills and the biosecurity to get into feed mills in some places is as high as it is to get into farms. We, we shared a recent example from our own farm at Kansas State University. Um, certainly not with ASF, but we actually had our first break with porcine epidemic diarrhea virus at our home farm. And so we used environmental sampling at the farm very heavily to help us train our own farm employees, but then also better track the virus um, so that we could walk it out of the farm and more importantly, keep the feed mill clean and keep an offsite nursery clean and using this environmental sampling and um, feed mill sampling to make sure that we minimized risk. Now we've talked about people coming and going, but what about the trucks yeah. and, and other vehicles? So that's certainly one of the concerns that we had on our farm. We had, um, at, at our K-State farm, we have one feed truck, really two feed trucks that, that deliver feed back and forth, but one that was used most, most heavily. And it frequently, two, three, ten times a week, depending upon what was going on, would make its way from the feed mill to the swine farm and back, but then it also went to other farms. Um, and so we were trying to make sure that the feed mill was not contaminated. That we know is a really big risk because once a virus gets into a feed mill, it's really hard to decontaminate it. Um, we've done some of that research, and so we wanted to make sure that we kept the feed mill clean. One of the things that we were able to do is since we had two feed trucks, one we designated to be inside the farm itself. And so we moved it to the inside of the perimeter of the farm and then we moved feed through the stinger from the feed mill truck over the fence line into the truck that existed within the perimeter of the farm. And then from there it delivered feed into the different, um, the different barns that were within the perimeter. And so then we used environmental sampling to make sure that the feed mill truck that went back to the feed mill did not get contaminated during that time. Um, we actually kept the feed truck out of the feed mill until those swabs came back negative. But what we did find about the truck in the inside of the perimeter was pretty interesting. That again, it's not necessarily the feed or the ingredients that were really a risk or a reservoir fomite for the disease, but it was the truck itself, the tires, the pedals, the foot pedals, um, and the step that employees were using to get into the truck and out that became the biggest risk for carrying PEDB. It gets complicated in a hurry, but again, we, we try as much as possible to use data to make decisions. And so what we've done at ksuswine.org is posted um, a number of feed safety resources, such as how to do environmental sampling and how to even interpret environmental sampling, how to do biosecurity audits for feed mills, and we have a biosecurity checklist for feed mills, so that hopefully as we help feed mills and help feed facilities and, and farms better understand what their risk is, that they can make more data-based decisions that are risk-based so that they're tackling the highest priority items. Now we've talked about the feed mill at K-State and we've talked about commercial feed mills, but what about on-farm feed mills where they're making feed and distributing it to maybe their contract growers or to just other farms that they own? Um, that's got to be an accident waiting to happen. It is certainly a higher risk activity and so um, in that case we again we take a lot of um, emphasis and put it around contaminated farms and trying to prevent transmission to other barns and I would just um, emphasize to the veterinarians and to the producers that are dealing with a disease incident within one of their farms to put that same biosecurity emphasis around their feed mill understanding that it can also be a risk for disease transmission.
And of course, this all starts with the virus that may be being imported with the feed and so forth. What advice do you have for both feed mills and producers alike in terms of sourcing ingredients? Yeah, it's, that's an excellent question. Um, certainly, we, we recommend excluding all high-risk ingredients. Now, your next question is probably, what is a high-risk ingredient? And again, there's no short answer to that. And so what we've recommended to a number of our producers is to at least start with a better understanding of where their products are coming from. And I think in the swine industry, we've done a pretty good job of that. The feed industry is starting to catch on, but a lot of kind of co-species mills don't really understand why we're even asking these questions. Um, and, and so that's been an interesting aspect, but asking the questions about where are the vitamins produced that are in my vitamin premix? What type of carrier is with this product? Um, where are these grains grown or where is the, the protein component um, coming from in my soybean meal? And so asking and going through the process of identifying not just who you purchased a product from, but who the true supplier is, who manufactured or processed or grew that product, helps you better understand what are the risks and then make you help you make more risk-based decisions about whether that's something that you could maybe exclude altogether or if that's something where you may choose to buy a higher priced product because it may have less risk compared to a, a lower priced item. So many vitamins, trace minerals, and feed medications are made in China. We can't just pick up production and move it elsewhere. I think the industry is kind of married to working with a lot of these companies. But I, I've heard it said, and I, I'd like to get your comment on this, that it's not so much where the feed ingredient or feed medication is made, it's really about the quality control and the biosecurity with that individual manufacturer. Exactly. I would completely agree with that, and, and that's really been one of our leading themes. I see a lot of um, anti-initiatives out there where it's exclusionary from all ASF countries altogether. We know that we can't implement that because um, we have products that we can't get from non-ASF countries. Um, and arguably, a lot of the products that might be coming from some of those countries are actually safe. And so it comes down to a number of different factors. And so where the product and how the product is manufactured becomes very important. Um, I think that something like a rice hull or a carrier, um, uh, soy hulls, rice hulls, corn cob carriers, those, depending upon the country that they're from, can be relatively high risk. However, fermented amino acids or vitamins that are produced in laboratories that whether your facility went and inspected them or maybe there's a third party that you trust that has verified that they are what we call a biosecure facility. Um, as long as those are packaged in a clean environment and in a sealed package, I'm pretty comfortable with them. However, if those same products arrive to me in a tote bag and I don't know if that tote bag had been reused previously or if it's in a vessel um, or in a truck and I have no history of what had transported that product in bulk um, or the vehicle that had transported that previously, I consider that higher risk because of the potential for cross-contamination. And so again, it's not as easy as saying we just aren't going to bring any products in or any ingredients in from these countries. It really depends how that product is produced, how it's packaged, and how it got into the United States. What's a veterinarian's role in all this? The veterinarian has a really important role in coordination with the feed mill, the nutritionist, and other players within the production system. 
Um, sometimes we forget about that dialogue that needs to continuously happen. Um, but where I've seen issues in the past is that maybe the veterinarian and even in many cases the nutritionist are aligned about what are higher risk and lower risk factors, but then we have a procurement program that they're incentivized to buy the lowest um, cost ingredients. And so making sure that all three of those parties are married together in making correct decisions and risk-based decisions becomes important and the veterinarian has the best skill set to be able to help the other entities make those decisions. Well, Cassie, these have been great insights and I know the pork industry really appreciates all the work that you and others have been doing to get us focused on feed biosecurity. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Pig Health Today podcast. To get the latest news and interviews delivered to your inbox twice a week, subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting pighealthtoday.com slash join.